Good afternoon. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. We have Peter Tha'afiu and uh, Dr. Ella Henry with us uh, this uh, afternoon. Nice to have your company. Now, uh, we will keep you up to date with the latest information regarding the tragic fire that happened in Wellington. There'll be more on Checkpoint. There is a uh, media stand-up at 4.30, so we'll uh, give you updates later. But uh, just some traffic around there. As probably expected, southbound traffic is super backed up down Wallace Street and Hanson Street due to the traffic cordons in Newtown due to the morning's fire. It's barely moving in places, and it's not even rush hour. So uh, you can expect it'll just get worse over the next couple of hours. Also, access to Wellington Hospital has been a Affected by road closures because of the hostile fire, which is next to a large city intersection just a block from the hospital. Now, the hospital also asked people not to call about their appointments, saying they will be contacted if their appointment is affected and anyone who requires urgent or emergency care will get it. So, uh, access to Wellington Hospital has been affected by road closures. Uh, and uh, don't call about your appointments, uh, they will contact you. Uh, but to, to this, uh, also, yeah, to some late-breaking news uh, about um, Vector Power Works. Nope, that's internal. We'll keep that, keep that for myself. But all eyes on Gore this afternoon. Councillors are in a meeting now, and not a single Gore district councillor was prepared to put forward a vote of no confidence in 24-year-old Mayor Ben Bell. Uh, they were meeting to consider a vote of no confidence ere in the mayor. That's what the meeting was about. Seven of the 11 councillors, including the deputy mayor, called on Bell to resign. And when he refused, he called this meeting today to put a, vo- a vote of no confidence. More than 130 people gathered outside the Gore District Council this afternoon. And some months-long stoush has come to a head as the mayor faces a potential vote uh, that uh, that happened today. And Chief Executive Stephen Parry and Mayor Ben Bell, they haven't been speaking since December. And last week, some councillors asked the mayor to resign. It's a long one, this saga, and it has captured national attention. Well, Dr Andy Asquith is adjunct research fellow at John Curtin Institute of Public Policy. He is a local governance expert. Uh, Dr. Asquith, welcome to the panel. Good afternoon, Wallace. How are you doing? Very well, thank you, Andy. Look, there have, of course, been other councils that have had their conflicts. I'm thinking, for example, of Tauranga. But have you seen anything like this, Andy? I think the peculiarities of the Gore situation are unique. Um, you know, what essentially you have is someone new to town taking on the establishment, and the establishment haven't liked it and have responded accordingly. The core of the conflict uh, is quite murky, Andy, nonetheless quite a glaring example of a uh, dysfunctional council. It's a wonderful example of a dysfunctional council, and I suppose... You could take many of the other faults that we can find within the New Zealand local government system and they're exemplified by what's happening in Gore. You have a, a well-established local cabal, if you like, of councillors that have run the council for a long time and have been unchallenged. And, you know, these councillors typify... You know, the old model, if you like, you know, they're male, pale and stale generally. 
and they don't like change. And you have a new mayor who's been elected that they didn't expect to be elected, and he brings change with him, and they don't like that, and they're rebelling. And the whole establishment is rebelling. And I think it wouldn't be too far wrong to, you know, to question the role of the CEO here and, and to ask the question as to whether the CEO has actually forgotten that he is a CEO and he's not part of council and he's not elected. A well-established local cabal is what uh, Andy is saying here. Stay there, Andy. Let's bring our panellist, Ella Henry. I have to say, just stand back for a moment. This I can't wait for somebody to buy the movie rights. I think this is going to be a cracker drama. Many are saying it's this. Positively Orwellian. Um, but the reality is I agree entirely with what the scholar says, uh, and I think this is going to happen increasingly. We are seeing younger people standing up and saying, we are losing our voice, we need it, and you know what? They are the demographic face of the future. So as you said, the pale the stale, the male, really have to learn to get out of the way because otherwise they are going to be run over. Andy? I think it's slightly more complex than that. You know, one of the big problems that New Zealand has, it's not unique to New Zealand neither, is the fact that young people in, in general aren't voting. The fact that that Ben Bell was able to get enough people to vote for him so he, he could beat the incumbent, I suppose in one sense is exceptional. But generally, young people aren't voting. And, and there's a very worrying international trend that shows that if young people don't vote in either of the first two elections after their 18th birthday, then they'll never vote. But what we need to do is we need to make sure that young people are engaged and are involved. In this context, I think Ben Bell's to be congratulated. Peter. The downside is... Oh, keep going, Andy. Sorry. He didn't prepare for what was in front of him. He didn't do his homework. He should have realised that if he had won the election, which is very much the case now, then he would be against a council that would be a very staunch block in opposition to everything that he stood for. He yeah, it's prepared for that. Yeah, stay there, Andy. It seems to be a long-running, in fact, uh, I think it was Newsroom who uh, did the timeline going back decades. And as a bit of a theme of this afternoon, we had teen politician Navaya Tafi Masters, who is standing for the Otara Papatoi Toy local board. So um, she's hoping for a bit of positivity in this. Let's bring in you, Peter. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> a breakdown in leadership occurs across, you know, all sectors. Um, unfortunately, for this case, it's been... You know, uh, the breakdown is occurring in public. Um, what I would say, and as a chair of various organisations, what I would say to managers uh, and also to politicians is that they have to think of the next step and the, and the future role that they have. I mean, New Zealand's a small country um, and the world is small as well, so they have to think of their futures as well. And that will probably be my advice to both. They, you know, they're, they're, they've got talents and skills to bring to local government or to whatever sector. Think about the future because, particularly with the internet today, all you need to do is Google someone's name. And I'll tell you right. now, as someone who recruits executives, Executives, I would find it very challenging to um, to recruit someone who um, who has been through a saga, um, you know, um, and and also whether whether they're wrong or not, they can spend their whole time in an interview explaining that. But you know, explaining is losing as well. So yeah, I would ask that they think about their futures too. Just finally, uh, Dr. Asquith. So the Minister of Local Government, he is at this stage not going to uh, intervene. And just an update here: um, not a single Gore District Councillor was prepared 
prepared to put forward a vote of no confidence. So it looks like there could be a, a turning of the page with all this, uh, I guess, pressure and media publicity, Andy. Any final lessons for other smaller councils around the Motu? Well, I don't think it's lessons for councils per se. It's lessons for the whole system. Uh, and mm. you, know, you may recall the previous local government has set up a, a review panel for local government. That seems to have died a death. But there needs to be a fundamental root and branch review of local government. And someone in Wellington needs to take responsibility, take ownership and to show interest and not just stand back and let these things play out because they'll keep on, on coming round and round. Good to have you on the programme, uh, Dr Asquith Kiora. That's a local governance expert. He's at Curtin University, used to be in uh, New Zealand, uh, Andy Asquith there. Uh, just the latest on that. So um, uh, a, a meeting was held today to consider a vote of no confidence in Mayor Ben Bull, uh, but not a single Gore District Councillor was prepared to put forward a vote of no confidence in Ben there. And I'm sure that you hear more about that on uh, Checkpoint. As you'll know, a devastating fire through the Loafers Lodge Hostel in Adelaide Road, Newtown, overnight. As of midday, 11 people remain unaccounted for. Police say up to 10 people have died in the blaze. Now, there's going to be a media stand-up at 4.30pm. We will take that. Representatives from New Zealand Police, Fire and Emergency NZ and Wellington City Council, as well as the Chief Coroner, Judge Anna Tutton, will be there. But I just want to highlight before that there is a way to help if you would like to. With us is Murray Edridge, the Wellington City Missioner. Kia ora, Murray. Kia ora, Wallace. And just acknowledging um, what a shocking tragedy, not just for the city of Wellington, but for really all Aotearoa, huh? Look, how many of us would have known that as we went to bed last night, this was going to unfold over, um, over the evening? Um, it is a tragedy, a tragedy for the community, a tragedy for Wellington, and a tragedy for those whānau who are impacted. But the good news is we've seen the community come together today in a, in a remarkable way, and, um, and you know, a, a big, big hand up and, and, um, for the, um, the way people have, have combined together, the community agencies, the government agencies, the council, to support people who are uh, in desperate straits at the moment. And so tell us a bit more about that and how people can help. Mara, you're organising donations? Yes, so um, um, people can donate to the Wellington City Mission as long as they tag that donation with Loafers Lodge and um, then it means that all that money goes directly to supporting those individuals who have been impacted by it. A number of the people we care for lived in that facility and so we're working very hard with other agencies to locate people and to ensure that they've got the support wrapped around them at the moment. And uh, that'll help. What, what the day-to-day basics or accommodation? What will it help with? Yes. Well, at the moment, um, I'm, part, I'm at, up at the evacuation centre in, in Newtown, and um, the, the effort at the moment is to go in, into accommodating people tonight, um, ensuring that people have um, phone uh, phone contactability, have sufficient food, have the necessary clothes they have, because most people who got out of the building left with nothing. And so we've got a group of people who are, are seriously in need at the moment and the wraparound support for them will enable them to um, at least be warm and comfortable tonight and then we'll work on the issues going forward. Kia ora, Murray. I appreciate it. That's Murray Edridge there, Wellington City Minister, around the panel here on this one. As Murray said, Ella, waking up to this, just such a um, uh, shocking scenario.
Absolutely. Kanui te aroha ki a pani. My condolences to the families of all of those people, not just those we've lost, but the ones who are distressed by the trauma of surviving what must have been an awful awful experience so thank you for letting us know how we can contribute thank you for letting us know what's happening for those people and the most that we can do at this stage is give our aroha and whatever resources we can share yeah kia kaha and aroha to the first responders um you know the ones who were there and no doubt uh, you know um they they also will be um, um suffering um, um over the over the coming weeks um, you know, and first responders, uh, could hopefully you are well and also continue to be blessed in, in your roles uh, throughout the country, and we thank you. Hmm. Now, so uh, that uh, website too, wellingtoncitymission.org.nz forward slash donate now. So if you just do a bit of a Google for Wellington City Mission, there is a big donate button there, and um, that'll lead you straight to where you need to go and uh, my wonderful producer Sam Hollis says it will, it'll be on our website as well which is rnz.co.nz forward slash the panel and we cross at 4.30 to a media stand up on that uh, fire in Wellington uh, but to this report out today by Cure Kids has found Pacifica and Māori children have the highest hospitalisation rates for some of the most preventable diseases and infections. The most common of these include respiratory conditions, rheumatic fever and heart disease, skin infections and mental health concerns. The State of Child Health in Aotearoa New Zealand report concluded these issues are the result of recurrent childhood illnesses and an example of inequality. I thought, well, let's highlight this, uh, the report out today with us is Cure Kids Chief Executive, Francis Bang. Uh, Francis, welcome. Oh, look, thank you, Wallace. And just, you know, I'd like to echo um, much love and araha to the community in Wellington after the evening's tragic events. And, you know, our thoughts are really with the community. Um, Wallace, just with this report, you know, for more than 50 years, Cure Kids has invested over $66 million worth of research into helping enable children live healthier, brighter lives. And the purpose to, um, to look at this report was to try and identify the health issues which are in the most urgent need of solutions and so we joined forces with an amazing team at the Paediatric Society, the uh, Royal Australasian College of Physicians and the New Zealand Youth and Epidemiology Service who we've grown to love through all of our COVID activities. So, So what we wanted to do was develop this picture of the state of child health in New Zealand. So this is our third report And I guess the most poignant piece out of it all is, as you said, all of these conditions are completely preventable um, and we should be keeping these kids out of hospitals and and primary care services. An ongoing, lingering issue, Peter, for a few, unacceptable. Oh, it is unacceptable. it is. Peter? Um, yeah, it is unacceptable, and um, you know the, t- the responses need to be targeted. But with all due respect to uh, Te Whati Ora, the new ministry, um, I think the only targeted investment is going into them as an organisation um, in, in the restructuring. So um, there needs to be some response, but also I think the reliance is, um, you know, as Francis 
um, has, has outlined, um, you know, organisations like Heal Kids, but also philanthropy and also community groups. I'm surprised that we haven't been protesting and we're not on the streets protesting, you know, you know, primary health issues with our kids because we seem to find a way to protest everything else. But this is this is poverty in an extreme, and and we've got kids suffering because of that. Why we're not out on the streets protesting? No, I'm not too sure. Stay there, Francis. Um, Ella, I think I tried to attract or. Talk to some of these issues and my comments from Emma's book this morning because so many of the issues around Māori and Pacifica health are entrenched in systemic racism, in attitudes towards our people that make it harder for us to access services or, or less believing in the quality of those resources or less trustful of them because of the fact that our, our communities have been battered for so long by poverty and, and disenfranchisement. So there are some major structural issues. It should not just be left to philanthropy. This is, this is about tertility. This is about partnership. This is about the Crown taking responsibility for its obligations to its treaty partners. And, and that is really, I think, the starting point for systemic change. I mean, it's, the, the issue is quite striking, isn't it, Francis? Uh, just reading another medical study, not in fact, uh, not that long ago, and their study found the only country comp- with comparable rates um, of uh, this, is, this is adults actually with uh, rheumatic fever was Uganda. But the papers said the severity of the disease in the African nation was substantially lower than that mm. found in South Auckland. I've got to ask, what is the root of this? Look, I think what we need, we've, we've got to have a deliberate and collaborative effort in, you know, in trying to reverse some of these, these trends. And it is about equity and it is about the gap with, with Māori and, po- and Polynesian populations. Then we, we need to change the healthcare model so that the, the services are embedded within these communities by these communities. So that they, you know, have this uh, this um, focus, child focused approach to solving some of these issues, delivering equitable access to healthcare, nutrition, housing. You know, when these kids are hospitalised, mum and dad might have to take a day off work to take them, and there's a big impact on the broader far now. So we have to be a lot more child focused in our approach. Very nice to have you on, Francis. Thanks for taking the time uh, on this issue. Uh, that is Francis being Cure Kids Chief Executive there. It is 26 past four. Now just waiting for that stand-up at around 4.30 today. Uh, an update on the Loafers Lodge fire. Uh, representatives from the New Zealand Police, Fire and Emergency NZ and Wellington City Council. Also Chief Coroner Judge Anna Tutton will be there and uh, they'll be speaking near the intersection of John Street, Riddiford Street and Adelaide Road in Wellington. But before we get to that, just just a change in tone here, because I asked earlier uh, about recalling the days of the school cross country. You know, you wake up with joy out of the classroom, a day of fresh air and mud, or you wake up in a cold sweat. Not this, not the cross country. And it's juniors cross country tomorrow, and I was talking with the principal of Blockhouse Primary there, and that there was a conversation, not at that school, but uh, should it be optional? And I thought, no, not in your life. I had to do it. Everyone's going to do it. So your memories, the feedback's quite amazing. Your cross country memories came flooding through, including Gillian and Palmerston North. Gillian, Kia ora. 
welcome to the panel. Kia ora, Wallace. Kia ora, panel. Lovely, Anna? lovely to have you on, Jillian. What's your cross-country memory? Well, I have a few from primary school, but my outstanding one is, uh, as a grandmother, going to watch my granddaughter run in the cross-country in, in a primary school. And... Uh, she came in, respectively, somewhere about 24th or something out of the big field. And, and I was very proud, and I cheered her on. And then I stayed on to watch the others come in. And last of all, a little very unsporting boy uh, was chugging up at, at the very end. And to my delight, everyone started cheering him. And it brings tears to my eyes because it was just so different from... The sort of competitive must-win attitude that um, probably characterised my my cross-country years, um, and he was last. He was slow, and he was getting so much cheer and encouragement, and it was wonderful. Ella, that's bringing tears to my eyes almost. It is it's a lovely story and, and really a fond memory. Unfortunately, I went to school in the 1960s and um, we were poor and nobody could afford fancy schmancy running shoes. So we dreaded the idea of a cross country and whether yeah. or not I could do it in my jandal. So, you know, there is <laughs> some equity issues still around yeah. whether or not kids have the resources to do a compulsory activity like that. Absolutely. Stay there, Gillian, Peter. Oh, it's a beautiful story. Look, I've got six kids and um, all of them do cross country. Um, a couple of them are quite sporty, but I've got Got a couple who have done, who every year during cross country they like to pick the daisies and the um and you know and and, and look at the um you know they go to to a country school and you know look at the, the cow next door and um and say hello to Daisy the cow <laughs> in addition to picking up daisies so look it's a it's great for for them to get to get outside and enjoy the fresh air but also as you as, as you say with your story it's the ability to have you know Fano and parents sort of celebrate these kids in whatever in whatever position that they're in. And I guess that's what your story really is all about, Gillian, eh? It's just involvement and just wherever you come, it doesn't matter. Exactly, exactly. Nice one. Very good. Thank you, Gillian. Uh, and thanks for those uh, those memories there, cross-country. Anne says, my son walked the cross-country with his mate and debated politics all the way, uh, year 11, and still got the tension. Maureen, Maureen says, love the idea of doing maths as part of cross-country. My worst day at school was the day Arthur Lydiard came to visit in the early 60s. We then all had to run over the hills at the back of Kaikrae Valley School. Gosh almighty, Arthur Lydiard coming. Yeah, I can imagine that. You're on the panel on RNZ National. It is 4.30. We have Ella Henry with me, also Peter Fa'afiu. It is time for Headlines.